Hello, everyone. Thank you for downloading our podcast. I'm Randy with Houston and Hogan, and today is very special on the broadcast. Stay tuned. We've got father and daughter together. Gina Edwards, Dave Hogan's daughter, is joining us on the broadcast today to talk about growing up the daughter of a radio star. Thank you for tuning in. We're just around the corner for Hot Mike with Houston and Hogan. Hot Mike with Houston and Hogan features two radio professionals with over 100 years of broadcasting experience between them. Dave Hogan and Randy Houston are both native Western North Carolinians whose rich voices have been heard in every glade, cove, and holler of Western North Carolina and East Tennessee, primarily on AM radio. And between the two of them, they've worked in just about every radio format. As you can imagine, these guys have tons of stories about the day-to-day of live radio and the interactions they've had with listeners and entertainers while they were immersed in, at the time, one of the most influential and informative mediums available. Those experiences will be featured in this podcast series. Check the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts with Randy and Dave on Hot Mic with Houston and Hogan. Hot Mike with Houston and Hogan is back for another episode of stories about our storied radio career. Dave Hogan, how you doing? Doing fantastic. We have a rat in the studio no. today. We have a rat in the studio. Please introduce Gina Marie, my daughter who lives in Tallahassee, Florida, is visiting and she's in the studio with us today. And what did I say rat? That's her nickname, but I'm the only person that can use that name when I talk about her or to her. That's an inside kind of joke. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm not quite sure how the nickname Rat came about. The best I recall, she uh, I don't know who she ratted on me to, but she told uh, she told something she shouldn't have to somebody, and I jumped on her for ratting me out. And from that point on, she was rat, or rat fiend. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) we were down at 12 Bones Barbecue one day on the river before they moved the original location. In the curve, yeah. In the curve, and and we were eating, we ate barbecue there. And they had a bulletin board. And on that bulletin board, they had pictures of people who had eaten at 12 Bones. One of them was President Obama. President Obama's picture was there and several other well-known people who had eaten at 12 Bones. So we had finished our meal, and uh, maybe I'd gone to the restroom, and I came back, and I stopped, and I started looking at that, uh, that bulletin board with those pictures, and Gina was just starting out the door. And spontaneously, I turned around. Now, the restaurant is packed. I turned around and I said, Hey, rats! <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> and women started jumping on the tables. <laughs> People started looking around, Where's the rat? Where's the rat? Where's the rat? You clearly. Pop, you can't say that in a restaurant. <laughs> it's just that I've called her rat so much, uh, lovingly, I might add. Did you ever see the movie Radio Days? 
No, I haven't. You were telling me about that. Radio Days uh, came out in 1987. Woody Allen, his then-wife Mia Farrow, I guess they were married at that time, Diane Keaton, and a lot of great stars were in that uh, movie Radio Days. A 1987 American comedy drama film written and directed by Woody Allen, who also narrates the story. The film looks back on an American family's life during the golden age of radio, using both music and memories to tell the story. And boy, it has, an, it has a, a, a great uh, cast, a great ensemble of stars. So you need to try to pull that up. You can probably find it somewhere. Radio Days. Love stories and movies and television shows about radio. Uh, Frasier is one of my all-time favorite <laughs> Uh, TV shows, right. and of course, it's about radio, and and then we all still love uh, WKRP. In I Cincinnati. work for WHKP. <laughs> we <laughs> have to be careful with that, but it, it but it's all based on radio, which is so much fun. And, and do, the, do either one of y'all remember a movie called FM? Yes, I I do. never can find. I would love to see that movie again. And I remember seeing it when it first came out. I remember it. And yeah. I've not been able to find a place to watch it. There's got to be somebody streaming it. Got to be. Got to be. Well, Gina, I'm so glad you're here today because uh, you grew up uh, under under the umbrella of, uh, of a big radio star. Personality. And, yeah. <laughs> Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah. And uh, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. So, Dave, we've learned, uh, came to WSKY in 1960. Right. And uh, Gina was uh, with me on a lot of my... I remember we used to do the Christmas parade together, remember? Oh, yes. Oh, the Asheville, WSKY. The Asheville Christmas Parade. And she started doing the Christmas Parade with me when you were, what, eight years old? Actually, the first time I did the Christmas Parade, I did it with Farmer Russ. Okay. Tell us who Farmer Russ was. Farmer Russ was... Now, you're asking me to remember when I'm... <laughs> a little tiny small child. He Farmer was Russ the morning was, show host yes. on WSKY for yep. um, quite a few years. Russell. He had two different. Uh, uh, he was there in the fifties, and then he came back in the sixties. Okay, he left and then came back uh, when I worked there in the sixties. And he would send the kids off to school every morning. He had a routine mm-hmm. like that. And so you you did the Christmas parade. Did the Christmas Farmer parade Russ? standing on the balcony. Of the downtown motel. Of the downtown motel. Across from Wiccan Greens there. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think I probably would have been, I don't know, seven maybe. And then you then you and I did it yes. together. Yes. And Gina was with me uh, a lot of different times at a lot of different events. At the city auditorium, emceeing shows, and she never did have stage fright because she grew up on a stage. You went with me to wrestling matches, too, I believe, when I was doing the announcing for Chief Sanook from Cherokee, Mm -hmm. who was a former heavyweight champion wrestler and then promoted wrestling matches on Wednesday night. And I I was the announcer for his wrestling matches for a long time. Took Gina along to those. Those were at the city auditorium too, right? Yeah, those yeah. were at the city auditorium on Wednesday yeah. night. 
And I remember we once in a while the chief would have a big promotion and give away a don uh, give away a pony. Yeah, <laughs> give away a pony, <laughs> and uh, people would uh, pack the city auditorium for this pony promotion, which went on for a couple of months. And you had to come to the auditorium and put your name in the hat in order to be eligible for the drawing, which would be held on a certain Wednesday night. So you'd go and you'd register and you'd register and you'd register and the big night would come and the pony would be given away. And um, unfortunately, I was the one, in this case, it was unfortunate, to pull the name out of the hat and announce the winner of the pony. Well, to take a little pressure off of me, I saw a little boy sitting down on the front row. And I called that little boy up into the ring, asked him his pull up, had a drop mic, you know, it came right, down from the right. ceiling. Took that mic and I asked the kid what his name was, and he told me, and how old are you? And he told me, where are you from? And he told me. So I said, reach in, son, and pull out a name. And there, the auditorium seated 3,000 people. So there were at least 3,000 names in there, probably many more because they could register over a period of time. He pulled the name out. I looked at it, and it was his name. His own name? He pulled his own name out of the box. <laughs> oh. Yeah, pulled his own name out of the box. <sighs> I didn't know what to do. I wouldn't either. I said, um, pardon me, folks, for just a moment. It's hard for me to read this. Hard for me to read this writing. I'm going to get the chief over here to help me. <laughs> and I walked over. The chief was standing there with his arms folded in the corner of the ring, you know, and I walked over there, and I said, the little boy, he drew his own name out. What am I going to do? What, what What do you want to do? And the chief said, he wanted fire and square, didn't he? Give him the damn pony. <laughs> <laughs> now, the chief has a well-known granddaughter that we had the pleasure of meeting yes, and, and talking with. Annette. Tell us about uh, Annette her. Annette Clapsaddle. Yeah. Yes, Annette Clapsaddle. Uh, she is a writer who lives over in um, Cherokee. Yeah. And we went over to Silva and met her at the bookstore not too long. City Lights Yep, bookstore. City Lights Bookstore not too long after her book came out. Um, and I'm trying to remember the title of It's her based book. on a story uh, which happens at the Grove Park Inn. And uh, she's a teacher. Yes. At, I believe, the high school in What's Jackson that? County, Smoky Mountain High, I believe. I think That's you're where right. And it uh, teaches. That's her full time, regular job. Even as we breathe is the title of her book. I knew it had breathe in it. So yes. uh, we recommend that book because it's based in Western North Carolina, and um, the Grow Park Inn was used as a uh, place to board diplomats. During German diplomats. German diplomats during World War II. 
And that's the story. It's it's a fascinating story. She's the daughter of uh, the chief that you worked with. Uh, in the the grand, uh, granddaughter. The chief, okay. the chief was her grandfather. Yes. Chief Sanook. Yeah. Back in the 60s was when this was going on, right? I remember taking, yeah, back in the 60s. I remember taking Gina to uh, the Asheville City Auditorium when I was emceeing uh, the Reverend J. Basil Mull's gospel singing conventions. Gotcha. And Gina was probably too young to remember this, but everybody who follows gospel music knows the Spear family. Of course. And um, Mom Spear, she's on um, Now Deceased, but the Spear family's on a lot of the Gaither videos. Right. And the beautiful silver hair that she had, Mom Spear. Mom Spear, when the Spear family appeared on one of these programs, loved Gina and would hold her in her arms and actually babysat Gina for me backstage. While you were working. <laughs> while I was working there at the city auditorium. Oh, those were the fun days. Oh, man. Those were the fun days. Anybody who's never, you have a beautiful daughter too. Yes, Sarah. Any yeah. person, any man who's never had a daughter, oh, I sympathize with you. When we worked together in the 90s, uh, Sarah was middle school, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. grammar school, middle school, and hanging around a radio station. And She filed uh, records for me. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Catalog, <laughs> catalog them for me. And many times uh, I've dragged her when she was like five and six years old. I, I remember a couple of very snowy mornings. Come on, let's go. And she'd go with me to the radio station and answer the phones, take mm-hmm. those school cancellations. Boy, what Kermit Edney was talking about that this morning, about how the Captain Gilmer School in Fletcher would always call in and at, and say classes are canceled. And we never didn't know what the C- Captain Gilmer School was, and he explained that today. But he talked about how morning DJs in the day when schools, when it would snow, we were the only place for anyone to get information mm-hmm. about schools being open or closed. On one of our podcasts, if I recall correctly, we did it. We talked about some of the changes in radio right. down through the years. And social media and the internet changed so many things. As you said, and as Kermit Edney said on that uh where Fitz left off. Yeah. And, and those were recorded back in, in the, the day. In the 70s, and, and yeah. Mr. Edney is now deceased. deceased. And you still play his shows. I his still shows. do, yeah. And you shared some with me, and it was great, great listening. But uh, the Internet changed a lot of things yeah. uh, in radio and newspapers, all of media. And one of the things that uh, people relied on was when it snowed, is there going to be school today? Is school out today? Yeah. And the main source, the only source really, was through radio. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Kermit talked this morning about how the kids would call and call and call as they're going to be in school. And he said a lot of times teachers would be calling too. Yeah, yeah. They needed to know also. That's right. (laughs) And uh, you'd get a call. You you had to answer the phone because it might be a school calling in to tell you that they're canceling school for that day. Or it might be Mrs. Whiffenpuff's Bridge Club 
is not going to be too <laughs> That's right. And then you had to make the decision, do I take up the airtime that I'm giving Mrs. Whiffenpuff here, uh, and it affects eight people, or these hundreds of people that are affected by this school? You know, we always get them on the air, you, though, uh, you know. You, you segged a lot of, segued a lot of records, put on a lot of 33 and the thirds, so you'd have time to answer, answer the, the phone. The phone, and that's where our daughters. We would both. We both <laughs> yeah. just sit here and talk about it. We bring our daughters to help answer the phone. And I imagine on the weekends when you'd have a snow on Saturday night, you'd have all the churches calling in on Sun- Sunday morning. Sunday oh, yeah. morning was a busy, busy. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Yes. And as you know, I generally every Sunday in my career, you I did a Sunday morning yep. program. Yeah, yeah. And and what was really rough on the announcer was when an unexpected snowstorm happened. Four in the morning, and you'd be by yourself in the studio with about six telephone lines all ringing simultaneously. (laughs) That's the truth. (laughs) And trying to answer them all. That's the truth. And how how many times did you end up driving into the radio station when there was a storm like that, and the snow plows hadn't come through yet, and the roads hadn't been cleared. That's and, why I bought one of the first Subarus. Mm-hmm. The Suttles. Forest and Reeve Suttles. Out yeah. on New it's, Leicester Highway. Yeah, that's right. They uh, were the first people to sell Subarus in the area. And I bought, remember the little red Subaru that yes, I had? Yes, I do. That was a front-wheel drive. I'd never owned a front-wheel drive vehicle before so that uh, I could get to work. Early in the morning. Early in the morning. Radio guys, I, I, drive, a four, I drive a four-wheel drive right now, and I'm, I'm emphatic about having a four-wheel drive in the house because it's 4 o'clock in the morning, and we need to get, we, you don't, and in radio, you don't call in sick. You don't call in and say, I can't get out of my driveway. I can't be there. That don't happen in this business. There ain't nobody to call at 4 o'clock in the morning. You got to be there. That's right. Uh, switching gears, uh, Gina, my daughter, who's with us, in case you – can I use the word just tuned in? in. <laughs> I don't I think it. that works with a podcast. <laughs> But Gina and a couple of her contemporaries down in Tallahassee, Florida, where she lives, they produce a weekly, is it weekly or? Right now it's about to transition from once a month to twice a month. Twice, once a month to twice a month. Mm -hmm. Podcast, and I want Gina to tell us about it because we have listeners who may want to uh, listen to her podcast. Our podcast is called Around the Writer's Table. And it is an outgrowth of a conversation that a couple of friends of mine and I repeatedly have had over the years. All of us are writers, and we have talked quite a bit about critique groups and getting feedback on your writing and the ways that that can happen in good ways and bad ways. And as we were having these conversations, we realized how much... It would be beneficial for other writers to hear some of the things that we were talking about. So that was kind of the birth of this podcast that we're calling Around the Writer's Table. And our tagline is creativity, craft, and conscious living. 
So we do talk about writing craft, but we also talk about the mindset of the writer and all of the challenges that writers face in getting the words on the page and getting published and and all of those things. Tell us about your job specifically, Uh, Gina. I know that you have been uh, working on a book for a long time. A lot of people don't realize that some, some of the books you read took 10 years or, or, long, more. <laughs> or, or longer before from the from the, the time the writer starts the book mm-hmm. and and finishes it. But I know you, you've been working on a book that uh, loosely is based on an Asheville, famous Asheville landmark. Yes, the orange peel. The mm-hmm. orange peel. That orange peel uh, appears pretty prominently in my novel, but it's... Uh, it's really focused around the people in this fictional community that I'm calling Kent Creek. And yes, I have been working on that book for decades now. The creative process is not linear. <laughs> <laughs> but you do editing for people who write books. Uh, tell us a little bit about the editing process. And then I want to talk about editing as it relates to music, recorded music. Mm. So I do work with uh, mostly independent writers who are planning on self-publish, although I've also had the blessing of being able to work with a few writers who have approached the traditional path of, uh, of reaching out to an agent and then a, a publisher. And so uh, I primarily work with writers who already have a first, at least a first draft finish. Many of them have already gone through that draft multiple times themselves. And just looking for... Um, cohesiveness in terms of the story, making sure that storylines within the greater uh, uh, the greater context of the novel do not get lost. And then we get more granular the next time we go through it. If we're fortunate enough to be able to go through it more than once, then we'll start looking at things like word choices and grammar and spelling and punctuation, which oftentimes are the first thing that a writer wants to look at when they hand over their book to a novel. And that's actually the last stage of the process right before proofreading. It's really looking at the whole picture, making sure the story holds together, making sure the characters are fully fleshed out. You know, many of the songs, Randy, that we've played on the radio have been edited by an editor, a song editor. Now, I'll use Hank Williams' music as an example. His editor was Fred Rose, who also was a great writer himself. But as you know, uh, Hank Williams uh, grew up poor, and Hank did not have the educational background that uh, one would wish to have if you were going to be a writer. And so Fred Rose helped him craft his songs, and and Hank would write. I remember reading a story about uh, the, the great song that Hank wrote called I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. Now, there's a line in there, the silence of a falling star lights up the purple sky. Great line. Fred Rose is responsible for that line. Hank had it written a different way, Mm -hmm. and Hank said, let's write it this way. And so I'm sure that many other writers have had uh, the publisher look at the song and say, well, and I've read about, uh, uh, I read a a story, I believe it was about, 
he's, oh, I know it was. He stopped loving her today. And the producer was not quite uh, happy with the way the song ended and made some suggestions serving as kind of an editor. Right. So that happens in, I guess, all the written, if you use the written word, it's good to have somebody else look at it. Right. Is that right? Yes. And, you know, you also have to consider, especially in in terms of, of stories and novels, a lot of writers write for themselves. So they may write, they may spend years writing a novel and, and never publish it because they just enjoy the process. But if you are going to put those words out into the world, you have to share them in a way that are going to appeal to whatever audience you're trying to speak to. And that may mean using different words or taking a different approach. Boy, Gina, thank you so much for uh, visiting us on our podcast today, guys. Uh, it's really good to be here with father and daughter and, uh, and uh, hear them talking about uh, the days of uh, radio when we when we were all just having a great time here in little old Asheville, North Carolina. So many memories I know, Gina, you have of growing up here. You went to school uh, at some different schools here in Asheville? I did. I went to Irby Jones Elementary. I went to Emanuel Lutheran. And then I went to what was called then Asheville Country Day School, which is now Carolina, Day. Carolina Day School. Yep. Uh, and then I went to Asheville High. Wow. All familiar names. Could I interrupt for just a moment before you sign off? Of course. And go back to the song, He Stopped Loving Her Today by George Jones. Yes. Which really became his signature song. Yeah. And it, it restored his career. His career was on the downside until he recorded He Stopped Loving Her Today. That's a song written by Bobby Braddock and Curly Putman. It was produced by Billy Sherrill. And Billy Sherrill produced Tammy Wynette and oodles of other country music artists. And uh, when they took the song, the writers took the song to Billy Sherrill. As I said he, earlier, he was a little bit unhappy with the way the song ended. And so he made some suggestions, and that's where that recitation part came in, near the end of the song. Yeah. And so editors or producers... Uh, are very important. Very I know important. that I've had a little experience writing a newspaper newspaper columns, and I always let Gina take a look at those columns, mm-hmm. and she will uh, correct punctuation, of course, that sort of thing, but also maybe give me a, give me an idea of a better way to write a particular paragraph. And does she give you a good deal? On the cost of this. <laughs> that payment is pending. <laughs> and I remember, as a side note, I remember seeing George Jones and Tammy Wynette in the city auditorium. Oh, oh yes. I was a little girl. Thank you both. Thank you so much for coming in to visit with us today, Gina. Get us Thank in touch you. with your podcast one more time. Around the Writer's Table. And you can go to aroundthewriterstable.com. And uh, you can find it on your regular podcasting platforms, or you can listen there on our website. Perfect. Perfect. Dave, thank you so much. We'll catch you next time. Very good. Be sure to click the subscribe button for another episode of Hot Mike.
with Randy Houston and Dave Hogan.